Welcome to this week's edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Hume, and I'm here to take you through the very latest news and views, hints, tips, and tricks to help you on your property journey. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. I hope you're doing well and thanks for all your positive comments about last week's episode about putting your house up for sale. This week, we're going to talk all about buy-to-let, but before we do, let's go through the usual property headlines. First one coming in from BBC News, City AM, The Daily Mail, The Daily Telegraph. It's funny, you know, now it seems that one journalist seems to cover so many different newspapers, but it says that data from Nationwide shows that UK house price growth slowed in September with the annual average price up by just 0.1% over the month, with is far lower than the growth of 2% recorded in August. The month-on-month increase means the average price hit £248,742 last month. The report also shows that annual house price growth in September came in at 10%, down from 11% in August. Wales and Northern Ireland were the strongest performers, with London the weakest In Wales, property prices have risen by over 15% in the past year. Meanwhile, London saw annual growth slowing to 4.2%. England saw a slowing in annual house price growth to 8.5% from 9.9% in the second quarter. Property price growth in northern England continued to exceed that in southern England. Reflecting on the data, Robert Gardner, Nationwide's chief economist, noted the impact of the tapering stamp duty holiday, adding that activity is likely to soften now the tax break has been withdrawn. Yeah, well, that's true. There will be some softening. And also lots of the decisions that we said before will have been brought forward to take advantage of that stamp duty holiday. In other words, those thinking of moving the traditional what we call the mum's market when the children are back at school in September and mum looks to move. Many of those decisions would have been brought forward to the spring this year and so would have already taken place. And what we're experiencing right now in London is a lack of new properties coming to market partly for that reason. I think there will always be an element of people that sit back and and see, if you will, when a big incentive like this ends. But by the same token, we're finding that because of the lack of supply, demand is still really strong. And that's underlined by an article in The Telegraph. And nice to see this if you're a Londoner. Prime property market is shifting back to cities. And this says that a race for space during the pandemic has pushed price growth of the most expensive homes outside cities to its highest level for 11 years. From June to September, the price of prime regional homes jumped 2% compared with the previous three months, according to Savills. But the data suggested the trend is starting to reverse as inner commuter locations recorded the largest quarterly price growth of any area in the country at 2.4%. Oxford, Winchester, Bristol and Glasgow all matched or outperformed price growth of prime homes in their surrounding areas. In London, the return to the office brought the strongest quarterly growth in the capital's prime rental market since March 2011. And we could certainly echo that. What we're finding is this huge demand for properties locally, for rental particularly, and also for sale for every uh, home we get on the market. There seems to be a surge of people looking. And this is underlined by another article in The Times. And this is saying that the move back to the office has prompted a surge in searches for homes for sale closer to commuter stations. And this is something we said at the very uh, middle of the pandemic when everybody was moving out for, you know, cleaner, greener holiday homes is that as the cities recover and people start to come back to commute and live in beautiful cities like London, so the need to commute to them or be near them will be greater. And that's certainly underlined by this article. A right move said there have been a big increase in the number of searches for train stations an hour away from major cities over the summer as people started to look for locations which allowed easy travel to work. 
Searches for houses and flats within an hour by train from cities such as London, Manchester and Birmingham jumped significantly between June and August. The biggest spike was for homes in Chelmsford, Essex, where searches were up 107%. Property Mark has called for a review of stamp duty. Now, Property Mark, if you don't know, are the governing body of estate agents and surveyors in the UK. And they're basically the overarching body that we all belong to. And they are seeking a review of stamp duty levels. Mark Haywood, the chief policy advisor, stated... With the holiday at an end, it is now timely to review the outdated levels at which people start paying stamp duty to reflect market demand, average house price and wage growth. Property Mark said its figures show the average number of buyers per branch a month increased by more than 100 between July 2020 and August 2021 during the tax holiday. The number of sales agreed per branch increased to an average of just over 11 per month compared with eight in the 14 months beforehand. 19% of homes sold for over the asking price during the holiday, compared with 4% before it was introduced, Property Mark added. Well, we understand your concerns, Mark, and I get where you're coming from. But what I think is, I've said this many times, but I do believe it. Stamp duty is the easiest tax to collect and the government will milk it for all they can because they're seeking sources of revenue to bolster their finances, having gone through the pandemic. And I don't expect any time soon we're going to get any huge reductions in stamp duty. I'd love to see it happen, but I don't see it happening. Uh, rental eviction orders have jumped according to city am 43 percent since the end of pandemic protection now there are some law changes um coming up now on the as we're in october and i'll come to those in a little while too but what the article says is eviction orders from landlords and letting agents jump by 43 percent between the end of the eviction ban on 1st of june and 1st of september according to new data by housing law specialist landlord action Good old Paul Champliner, who you'll have heard on the programme a few weeks back. The majority of inquiries looking to evict tenants for non-payment of rent or expressing a desire to exit the buy-to-let market. Landlord Action added that it was having to warn landlords about delays in gaining possession due to the requirement for review hearings and the backlog of cases. What he also said, it's not in this article, is that in these review hearings, which are now um, they're insisting on, when these review hearings take place, the idea is that they may give landlords a chance for possession at that point. Um, but it's very rare that they actually do. In reality, they go on to full hearing and it's just another stop to um, delay the final process of eviction. Uh, the universal credit cut is to evict renters on benefits. There's an article from The Guardian. Uh, reports on government reductions to universal credit notes that analysis by housing charity Shelter reveals 560,000 renters have joined benefits queues since February 2020. It notes that areas where most renters rely on benefits include Blackpool, Middlesbrough, Great Yarmouth and Torbay. The Generation Rent Campaign Group said the UC cut would have a twin effect on renters, pushing some into arrears that would lead to eviction and make it harder for them to pass affordability checks. Then, on to other bits and pieces. We've got the economy recovering faster than expected. This is one on Sky News, BBC News, Financial Times and Reuters. Figures for the ONS, that's the Office for National Statistics, show that the UK economy has recovered faster than expected in quarter two. GDP increased by 5.5% between April and June, with the figure revised up from an initial estimation of 4.8%. Despite the revised figure, the economy was still 3.3% smaller than in Q4-19, the last quarter before the pandemic hit. The analysis shows household spending was the biggest contributor to the economic boost, with this driven up as lockdown restrictions eased in April. 
The ONS also revised its Q1 figure, estimating the economy shrunk by 1.4 percent rather than 1.6, while also reporting that the economy contracted by a record 9.7 percent in 2020, down from the previously estimated 9.8 percent dip. That's interesting to see, too. Now, let's talk about these changes for those of you that are already landlords from the 1st of October. Following the pandemic and the introduction of the Coronavirus Act 2020, the UK government increased all notices to six months for most grounds, including Section 21 notices, with exemptions for certain serious cases. Since June 1st, 2021 to September 30th, 2021, notice periods must be at least four months in most circumstances, apart from exemptions for the most serious cases. Notice periods for cases where there are less than four months of unpaid rent reduced to two months from 1st of August. And this is the important one. From the 1st of October 2021, notice periods will return to their pre-COVID lengths. Moving forward, the UK government intend to retain the power to implement similar measures again in future should the public health situation worsen. To this end, legislation has been tabled that retains the ability for the UK government to reapply for longer notice periods until 25th March 2022 as a backstop. Additionally, the UK government, and this is a crucial bit, will update landlord and tenant uh, local authority renting guidance and court guidance ahead of 1st of October to reflect the notice periods will be reverting to their pre-COVID lengths. They will also update the prescribed forms to reflect the changes to pre-COVID lengths. So in other words, make sure you go onto the government website to find your notice forms if you are looking to serve notice on your tenants after the 1st of October this year. You can go back to the previous lengths, which are two weeks for a Section 8 Ground 8 notice for rent arrears and two months for a Section 21 possession-only claim. Uh, and they can be found on the government websites. Just Google um, notices to quit uh, Section 21 and the Gov website will come up and provide you with what you need. Locals face being priced out of home worker hotspots. There's an article from BBC News this week as well. Well, we've seen a lot of that. Um, an interesting one as well from the City AM saying London remains the UK's primary focus for property investors, according to research. I think that's important. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to come on to now was rental demand. Um, rental demand has seen massive, massive increases in interest. Um, the level of inquiries we're getting per property now is really quite unprecedented. And there's an article as well saying that rental prices have surged in London's prime locations too. But it's not just prime London that's experiencing huge demand. The pandemic was an opportunity for many small landlords to cash in, sell up, retire maybe, change their strategy and move on. 44% uh, have decided to either stay in the market or increase their portfolio. Um, but you could read that the other way and say the majority have actually sold. And for that reason, there's a bit of a gap in the market. And does this mean it's a good time for you? Well, you know, we've spoken a lot about inflation. If inflation's running as it is at roughly 4% per year, then that means if you had £100 in the bank at the end of a year, that £100 would only have a true value of £96. If you take a guess that property values will stay at inflation or above at around the similar level to that, which over time they tend to reflect what's going on with inflation because as salaries go up, so does affordability and so do house prices. And then if you put on top of that the lack of rental stock in the UK, um, then two things. Rental yields will definitely go up. And secondly, house prices are likely to follow in the broader sense, longer term inflation or better. Therefore, 
property is always a good hedge against inflation. It's particularly good if you're looking to retain the spending power of the money in your bank. You know, the days when you could take your pension, just put the money in the bank and then earn a good yield from interest rates are long gone. Now we're looking at such low interest rates that you're lucky if you could get 1%. And given that inflation is running at four times that, you are literally going backwards if your money is in savings and you've got interest payments coming in. So property is worth considering. How do you do it? What do you do? Well, first of all, you need to decide where you're going to invest. You know, there are lots of different areas that you can invest in the UK that make sense. You've got to look at the numbers. You've got to look at A, what you're paying, B, what the return will be, and C, whether that leaves enough to provide sufficient monies for any finance that you might also have on the property. Typically, you'll need a 25% deposit if you're a younger buy-to-let investor. If you're buying cash, then obviously that doesn't apply. One of the other things that you might want to consider is if you're building a portfolio, you might want to go for a limited company, special purpose vehicle. And what these allow you to do is they allow you to buy property from within the limited company. And then there are tax implications both ways, actually. Um, number one, you'll have a company which you'll have to use to return to the government in the normal way. So you may need an accountant to assist you with that. Um, so you need to weigh that up and the extra cost involved with that against the fact that if you have mortgages on the properties that you're buying to let, then you'll be able to offset the interest payments as an expense. In other words, if your interest payment on your loan is 500 pounds and your rent is 1000, then you'll be able to offset that 500 pounds against your expenses, meaning that your net income is 500 if you're a limited company. If you're an individual, you get a flat rate relief, but you don't get the benefit of offsetting that interest rate. So therefore you end up paying a higher tax bill. So they're the things to consider. You need to speak to a good accountant about that. Uh, Rita for Rent is one that we've been using recently and um, they're very good specialists. That's Rita, R-I-T-A, the number four and R-E-N-T. Very helpful bunch if you just want some general advice and pointers. I hope they can help you. Once more, this is not financial advice, but just giving you general pointers. Then a good idea is to speak to an independent financial advisor and speak to them about buy to let and what rates you can get, how easy it will be for you in your personal circumstances to obtain a buy to let mortgage. Now, having got the finances in place and knowing what your affordability is, you now need to seek out an area. A really good thing to do is decide on where you feel that you would be most comfortable and then speak to local agents and find out what the market is. You know, certain areas have macro markets that are very, very good for rental. They give you strong yield, good growth and little hassle. Others are more hassle, but give you a stronger yield. You need to decide between whether you're going to manage the property personally or what most people do is hand it to a managing agent because managing agents fees are offsetable against tax anyway. And there's quite a lot more compliance to do these days. You know, if it's got gas, you need to make sure it's got an annual gas safety certificate. Certainly you need an electrical installation condition report. You'll need an energy performance certificate, but if you're buying it, then it probably already have one. Therefore, that will already be at hand to you and they last for 10 years. You just need to make sure you're complying with all local regulations and watch out for another trip point as well. Houses in multiple occupations. This is properties where there are five or more tenants forming one, two or more households, sorry. If it's one family, this doesn't apply. So for instance, you could have 10 people in a three bedroom house and they're all the same family, that's fine. But if you have five or more people and they form two or more households, you are a house in multiple occupation. And with that comes certain regulation. Check with your local authority for their particular regulation, um, but it can involve substantial expense. So one of the things that we're always very careful about now with larger properties 
is that they don't end up in what we call a rent to rent situation where you think you're renting to a family and then that individual then goes to rent on to a third party and you find you've got seven tenants and you don't know who they are. So it's something that we keep away from. We always recommend, especially for a first time buyer to let investor, look for the smaller units. You know, two bedroom houses are great because they're freehold. So there's no expenses in the way of service charges, ground rent and the like. Um, and also are very popular with young professionals. And our area lends itself very well to just graduated young professionals, accountants, solicitors and the like, who want their head down, they want to get into London, are prepared to pay a premium for decent quality, clean, tidy, commutable properties. Um, and so we tend to advise people for those small things. It could be as small as a studio flat or a one bedroom flat or a two bedroom flat. But if you are looking at flats, some of the things to look out for are the service charges, number one. Service charges can be anything from £100 a month through to three, £400 a month, depending on where you're looking, or indeed even more in central London. And these will have a serious impact on your yield because, of course, you have to pay the service charge and ground rent. The tenant does not. So be very careful of that one. It's something that you should be asking agents when you're looking at properties, you know, what is the service charge? What is the ground rent? So that you know what your annual expenses are. In the smaller blocks, these tend to be much lower. Um, we always advise it's a good idea for your first buy to let particularly maybe look for something if you can that doesn't have a lift a uh, smaller block maybe that's just two or three stories so that there's not much in the way of maintenance that goes on and the service charges you should find reflect this if you've got a very small building the service charges are very high then that should raise your eyebrow and you should be looking at that with suspicion and saying well hang on a minute why are these charges high do we have a shark freeholder here look at the situation and if it looks like you do then bear in mind that you're going to have to deal with them year on year with unjustifiable charges when you take over so be very careful of that one too if the block that you're looking at and the flat you're looking at the tenants have a right to manage this is where they take over from the managing agents they don't necessarily manage it themselves but they get the right to manage and then employ the managing agent so that they have a chance to control those service charges and control that managing agent. They employ the managing agent as opposed to the freeholder or landlord, superior landlord employing them. And that can be really good for the residents and result in a substantial uh, improvement in value that's happening in a block locally. The service charges have been particularly impacted recently by the Grenfell tragedy, uh, awful that it was. It's resulted in many, many buildings in London having cladding issues and where the form EWS1 is not available on buildings with four or more stories, then you should worry about that. Um, the situation at the moment is that most blocks actually have that covered. Some don't. And you need to ask the question, where is this block at regarding the EWS1 form? Does it need one? Has it got one? Are there substantial service charge hits in the meantime? So that's something to look out for. Look for small units, look for low cost, low service charges. Most importantly, speak to the agent that you're thinking of buying through and have a long discussion. If you think of renting through that agent as well, that's a bonus. If you're not, Google up the best re rental and letting and management agents in the area. Have a long discussion with them about what's popular with their most uh, lucrative end of the market. It's probably roomlets but you may not want that hassle. It can be a very stressy market, and I've already said there can be lots more compliance with that. What we find is young professionals, small units can be the best in terms of the balance of hassle versus benefit. So be careful out there, look carefully, make sure you take advice. Of course, you'll have your solicitor's advice as well, um, but in the end, what you need to be really careful of in flats is service charges, 
And with houses as well, whatever you're buying, actually, make sure that the end justifies the means. In other words, that you're not paying so high a price that you'll never make a return on your investment. So look out there, have a good look around, decide on the area you want to be in. It doesn't have to be prime central London. It could be another part of England, but it might be that if you live near the asset, that might be a benefit to you. You might feel more comfortable with that. Or you might just feel comfortable in an area that you know or feel like you, you understand or perhaps you've lived in. So you understand what the market will be like and you can get to it if you need to uh, in a case of emergency, which many people like the peace of mind of that. We have many landlords that have invested over the years and have gone on to retire and now live off the capital that comes from that rental income uh, quite successfully. In fact, substantially more successfully than they would have done if they'd taken that same money and put it into their interest bearing current account, which tends to bear so little in terms of money. So buy to let investment, a good thing to do. It's not a short term thing. We're not talking about a quick flip here. What we're talking about is longer term, something that will allow you the luxury of freedom. The brilliant thing about buy to let is if you buy a property, get it managed and you get a good managing agent, it's hands off. And the beauty of a hands off investment is, of course, that you can do that time and time again because there is no input from you. You could have five, 10, 20 or 100 of these and there will be nothing for you to do, meaning that the income is virtually passive. And there's a lot to be said for that. You know, it doesn't matter what you do, how good at it you are. Your salary is determined by the number of hours you can work for most of us. The beauty of buy to let investment is that it's passive in nature, meaning that there's not much for you to do personally. However, it's a minefield of paperwork. And that's why I would recommend that you involve a professional in the day to day administration and rent collection, because you can very easily come unstuck. We see many amateur landlords come to us with all sorts of problems that we have to unravel in order to move forward to make sure that they comply with current legislation and everybody's happy and things are moving along nicely. So that's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition. Until then, stay safe, look after your family and friends and have a fantastic week. Thank you so much for joining us on yet another edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers podcast. You can find out more at our website, jamesalexander.com. You can email me directly, ken at jamesalexander.com. We are estate agents and we can give you hints, tips, tricks and advice wherever you're buying, selling, moving to or from. Thanks to Ben Sounds for the intro and outro today and thanks to Jack Bowles for production.